You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. He's been mistaken for a member of the ZZ Top Band. He has been referred to as the Yoda of the hobby. There is no try. Build it, he must. I am speaking about today's guest, Lee Ward. Known as the Wizard of Lego, Lee shares his passion for the seemingly childlike toy, which has some very serious applications. Humor, as Lee says, is very serious business. I was touched by how supportive this community is internationally. Lego is fun, Lego is therapeutic, and most of all, Lego is restricted only by your imagination. I'm Kevin Power. Pull up some bricks and enjoy the podcast. I continue podcasting in the Meacham Museum. This time, my guest is the Lego wizard, Lee Ward. I don't know if that is a self-imposed title, or are you officially known as the Lego wizard, Lee? It's it's certainly not an official title. It's not actually one I've given myself, but but my appearance lends itself toward that sort of a term. (laughs) So, Well, I went on the Saskatchewan Lego um, users group, otherwise known as Slug. I went on that website, (laughs) right, of which you were most certainly not given all the things you were involved in um but i in the little humorous bio there it also referred you to you as the yoda of lego that again was given to me by somebody else (laughs) again in terms of just encouraging people in in a different way you know um uh certainly in 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 creating things with lego people will come up against all manner of difficulties or or uh, stumbling blocks. I mean, I certainly do myself. And stumbling blocks, no pun intended. Yeah, or, or <laughs> an inadvertent pun, but I'll, I'll take credit for it. Right. Okay. But uh, uh, but what I do is it revolves around use of puns. Right. 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 Uh, but build it, you must. Oh, 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 sure, sure, yeah, right. indeed, indeed. indeed. Uh, uh, and often just to to lateralize one's thinking to get around whatever difficulties one might be having, uh, think of it in different ways. Uh, you know, turn the bricks on their side or whatever, and, and you'll you'll maybe find a, a new way through. So, I mean, uh, again, that was that was somebody else referring to me, not my own. Okay. All right. Well, they're pretty good. They're pretty good handles, as far as I'm concerned. To have, I, I, I happily wear them. That's not okay. a problem. Good. Let's go back in time. Um, where did you grow up? I uh born in Lethbridge but grew up uh from the age of 4 in Saskatoon. Mm. Uh moved here to Meacham um almost 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh so Saskatoon to here. Uh, right. Not a farm kid at all. No. My my first uh, first experience driving a tractor was well in my thirties in Apple Country in BC. So, oh, right. <laughs> and because somebody brought you along for the ride or were you doing it with a goal in mind? Uh, that, uh, yeah, I was working in an orchard. Oh, you were actually? <laughs> yeah, I went oh. there to work. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, so, right. uh, but yeah, most of, most of my life has been spent here, um, in Saskatoon and, and then most, most recently Meacham. So you did your schooling in Saskatoon yeah. and university in Saskatoon? Yeah, or? I went to university there and studied philosophy and art history. Uh-huh. Right. And... Let's just jump to the chase. When did Lego come into your life? Was it as a child? Um, it started, uh, and, and my mother is actually quite proud to tell the tale because mm-hmm. it was, uh, I remember it being a, a, an Eaton's box. It was mm-hmm. you know, a little box of yeah. secondhand Lego that she found for my youngest brother, who's five years younger than me. Uh, so I would have been about 10 at the time, my uh, middle brother and myself, having a little more familiarity facility, we got in there and built things as well. So we all worked together with that uh, that small collection. 
Um, and then uh, not long after, I got a paper route. My brother got a paper route. And so we started um, rolling our assets into uh, uh-huh. Lego Futures. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it. We, yeah, I mean, and and at that at that point, uh, it was very much not a case of building the set, but gathering the pieces to build something different, something interesting. Right. Uh, I got three copies of a, a lunar lander and two of an airplane that were blue, so I could build the blue castle, which, yeah. you know, which seemed the the closest color to stone in my, you know, right. <laughs> working with it. Right. Uh, that blue castle exists today. Ah. Yeah. Um, of course, there wouldn't have been computers as we know them today, so you weren't going on Amazon to find all of this. Oh, no, that was that was very much a case of go to the local um, um, store, the, the, the department store. Uh, yeah. All right. And uh, seeing what was available and choosing from from that availability, and, and then of course in those days the Lego sets had, and they still do. They had a little catalog inside showing right. you what yeah. other sets were available. Right. And uh, there was one that uh, was a rocket base thing that I always wanted, and it was never there. They never <laughs> they never got it into that particular right. store or any other store that I had seen. So it was very much a case of the awareness built through, you know, at that time essentially print media. They had they had their advertising in the box for mm-hmm. the other sets, um, and so. But that was very much a case then for for us of these are interesting pieces. What can we do with them? Mm-hmm. And so I already had that sort of in my mind, and then the thought of going into architecture was uh, high in my in my interest at that time as well Mm -hmm. and so i saw that very much as a tool that could be used to sketch up sure Um, sure when does lego date back to uh the the bricks were um originally patented in 1954 Mm -hmm. and in 1958 they changed them they're still compatible with the previous ones but they changed the configuration to the the stud and tube uh, so a brick made in 1958 is fully compatible with a brick made today. And it would have been plastic in 58. It was. Well. They had switched to ABS in 58. Uh-huh, right. uh, they had used uh, celluloid acetate before that, oh, okay. which is a very soft, uh, malleable, uh, unpredictable plastic, and right. it would tend to warp. Right. So they changed to ABS. So it was. It's been that formula, give or take. You know, tweaking whatever. How did uh, it get the name Lego? Uh, it's uh, from the phrase leg goat. Is it Danish? It was yeah, yeah. Uh, Got- oh. Gottfried Kirk Christensen, who was the guy who came up with it. Right. And uh, it means play well. Oh. Huh. Latin. Huh. Right, uh, right. Latin Danish connection there to right. play well. And so, uh, and he, he actually. Um, was a um, pioneer in the use of uh, in the creation of plastic toys. He mm-hmm. had been making wooden toys, mm-hmm. and uh, the wooden toy factory burned down, and they built it again. And I think it uh, they had another fire or something. Anyway, they they gradually realized or suddenly realized that it was time to switch to the new way of doing things. So it was very forward thinking. They pro- they pioneered robotics in in manufacture uh, in the seventies. So, right. um, you know, it's quite fascinating and certain, you know, that's all, that's all available online as well. Right. Um, in terms of, of my interest, you know, from, from 10 to about the age of 18, I was gathering and building and so on. And then did you, um, start to acquire, cause there are motorized, um, components that you can add to Lego. Uh, there were some what are called Technic sets. Uh, there were some available back in that time. I had a couple mm-hmm. uh, you know, of basic ones that. So I had some. I still have motors mm-hmm. from that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, they've become more and more sophisticated recently. Sure, sure. So you didn't study architecture, but no, I didn't. I I realized that at a certain point that I knew enough about building for my own purposes, mm-hmm. and that I wasn't going to focus on just one thing. For right. that length of time, right, uh, and so I went into music and theater and um, you know, carpentry and so many other things that interested me. So I, you know, had a broader <laughs> interest, right? Know, but Lego time. stayed. Well, Lego Lego stayed, uh, but it became uh, 
we, we use this term in, in that world of the dark age where you <laughs> set it aside and you think you go on to more adult things or more, you know, serious things or whatever, university and mm-hmm. cars and girls and all mm-hmm. those interesting right, things right, right, at that time. Right. And so at that point, uh, yes, I, I parked it. <laughs> uh, but I kept the, the Blue Castle especially was on display in my living room, um, for most of the intervening period. It was in a box for a number of years when mm-hmm. it wasn't possible to display, but it was, there was no, there's no hiding it away and, you know, pretending it didn't happen or anything like that. Right. I actually remember at one point, uh, with a very creative group of uh, adults, uh, in theater bringing out the box and saying, Oh, well, here, here's something creative. Let's see what we can do with this. And, Finding that they didn't have um, the familiarity or the common sort of <laughs> background in it to really do much, it wasn't as inspiring to them, and so uh-huh. I put it away again. And then, uh, uh, very close friends of ours, uh, the kids were um, very well doted on by many grandparents and cousins and 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 aunts and so on, and they had the new Harry Potter Lego, which had some of the colors that I hadn't seen from the original days. Mm. And so my interest in architecture and Lego were suddenly <laughs> rekindled. So uh, that's where I started collecting and, and working with it again. Well, during this dark period, does that mean you missed the whole Star Wars? I, d- I uh, missed the beginning of the Star Wars period. I missed the whole classic space period. Ah, uh, nice. Basically from 78. Right, the whole until, NASA series? Uh, was it a NASA series? There was a NASA series. That came about after... Um, basically it was just over 20 years when I got back into it in about 2000. And uh, okay. by that point there were still some NASA sets being done. Right. And so <clears throat> interestingly, perhaps, um, I had been interested in architecture and castles and that sort of thing. And now these colors were available to do more realistic right. sort of things right. like that. And I very quickly started doing the spacey stuff, which tied in with the science fiction that I'd been interested in, mm-hmm. in you know, throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I make spaceships and castles and <laughs> cars and, right. and right. landscape and so on now. Right. Did the the basic form of the brick always stay the same as far? I mean, we're familiar with the various sizes, but did they start to make curved pieces and things like that? Oh, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, there's a... Because I have this reasonable size collection mm-hmm. from from my youth, mm-hmm. and then I've added to it. I, I've been able to compare, you know, the the difference from back when without having that sort of gradual development. That if you if you'd stick stuck with it throughout, right. you would have seen the, each little new piece come along. Right. Um, so yeah, there were some curved pieces. We call them macaronis. They were just a, like in a two by two square. They uh-huh. form a curved corner. Right. Um, and so those were, there were a lot of those in that set that I coveted with the, with the space, with the rocket ship. So right, 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 right. <laughs> having the curves and the smooth surfaces was, was quite a, this was the blue rocket ship. Uh, no, well, it was, it was white and, and black. It was, okay. a, it was a fairly typical, you know, like us rocket style. Right. Um, is there stigma as an adult around playing with Lego? I mean, did if you had these things displayed in your living room, did it jeopardize your dating potential? <laughs> um, I don't believe so. I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we have no uh, you know control group to really base sure. it on. But nobody you know. was walking going, "Oh, you've got to be kidding me!" Grow up. No, Probably no. Uh, in, in part because it. Not to toot own horn or mm-hmm. anything, but it Go was a fairly impressive, you know, it was mm-hmm. two feet tall and, and quite elaborate and mm-hmm. fantastical and so on. And so, it, you know, it was not a, it was not a multicolored hodgepodge lump that you couldn't right. tell what it was. Right. Um, so, uh, and the fact that it was on display and I wasn't actively playing with it, it mm-hmm. was, so, you know, a whole different kind of thing. Um um, so I don't think it, 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 I don't think it closed any doors for me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, uh, and there's much talk in the, you know, modern online community, especially among people who are on the verge of contemplating the dark age, you know, uh, in this whole different world than what we grew up in, um, and so there's different sort of schools of thought about it. Well, you, you, you know, 
need to focus a bit more on studies and so on as well, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> as I often often suggest to people, you know, young people, especially when they see, you know, the size of a display is, yes, you too can do this. Uh, you maybe can't do it tomorrow. You would do well to stay in school and learn a, you know, a profession that pays well enough that you can have this sort of a hobby, right. you know. So, um, is there an option to do this sort of thing um, on a on a career level? I mean, where does one there, go with that? Well, there is there is now, and a lot of people have you know sought the dream job of building with Lego for a living. I I know many of these people, mm-hmm. some close friends of mine who who do that, um, and it varies depending on what sort of job they have, but ultimately, it becomes a job. Right, and so it's. Uh, I know one of my friends works in the gaming company. He works uh, developing Warner Brothers games. Mm-hmm. He's one who does the Lego component of it for mm-hmm. their Lego games, and uh, I think he's quite conscious of it. And so he very much keeps the work and the his own pursuit separate in terms mm-hmm. of doing something different, you know, it can be very difficult, but certainly it, it, can, it be can be a career. Right. Um, but for the number of kids who grow up thinking, Oh, I'd like to design for Lego. There's not many people doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's not as wide a field as say being a lawyer or an engineer right. or right. You know, many other things. Is Lego being brought into community development at all? I mean, is it, is it useful? Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Um, I think I think it can be a, a very useful tool uh, in a lot of ways in terms of, uh, and, and you'll actually see this now where there are companies that use Lego in various ways um, for um, corporate uh, retreats and and uh, brainstorming and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, I think the world is much richer for that sort of thing now. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of different ways one can go about stuff. Uh, you can be doodling, you know, or mm-hmm. you can be making things with bricks, or you can be, you know, doing a role play with the little figures, or right. whatever. Um, I, you know, so I think there is a, a potential role for it. Uh, certainly, um, it, you know, being as it's a versatile thing, you can you can do different things with. I know, in terms of our museum here, um, yes, it's not a very old thing relative to that horse harness or that early right. typewriter, but it still. Uh, it has a history to it. It also has a potential for being uh, formed into replicas of those old things in mm-hmm. a way that, you know, again, gets kids or, you know, and perhaps even adults interested in uh, relating with history in a in a different way, not mm-hmm. just learn all the numbers and, you know, what happened on what day. Right. So. The adults who are involved in Lego take it very seriously. Yeah, I mean the user groups are are very structured and they're oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're. I mean these are a, a diehard Lego. Oh yes, there's there's some. I mean there are some who are who are you know very very much into it. Um, I'm I'm pretty sunk into it myself, mm-hmm. but. Um, and there are Lego user groups all around the world. All around the world, yes. Uh, and and through the magic of the internet, uh, you know, I know some of these people at least online, and have met many of them in person. You know, mm-hmm. we have uh, conventions. 
that happen in various places in the world. Uh, there's many in the States. There's, uh, there's been one in Canada. There may well, it's sort of smaller scale happening, but I think it's growing in Canada as well. Something happened in Moose Jaw not so long ago. Moose Jaw was the Brixpo, which was our Saskatchewan Lego Users Group uh, own show mm-hmm. at the museum there, the Western Development Museum. And uh, Brixpo. Brixpo. I take on Expo. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh-huh. Well, one, one tries to come up with a clever name that hasn't been used by someone else. <laughs> Right. So um, uh, that's that's just the one user group uh, in a geographical location. Um, in this case, spread out across Saskatchewan, but that's that's our locus. Um, there's you know groups that are larger groups in different parts of Canada and indeed around the world, and they'll form around a different you know different interest. Uh, this particular one is quite uh, it's quite a fun group. Um, what ha- has happened a lot is because Lego has built trains. Uh, they've made uh, train sets since, in fact, early in the 60s, as I understand it, mm-hmm. and, and different systems that they've used for it. The most recent couple of iterations of the train system, that all works together. It's all connectable and so on. And so there are people who've gone wholeheartedly into the train, recreating um, the uh, amazing detail, uh, you know, that they are able to create of actual trains. And these are on rails? These are on rails. These are Lego rails. Um, recently, some uh, aftermarket companies have created their own rails because the old 9-volt metal ones are mm-hmm. no longer manufactured. Nonetheless, uh, there's these groups that are very focused on making the trains and then, of course, the landscape and the, the towns and so on that they travel through. What's the gauge of the rails? Uh, it's Lego scale. Oh, <laughs> Lego has their own? It, it, well, okay. it's, roughly, it's roughly an O gauge, an I think gauge, it is. Right? Yeah, uh-huh. I think it's about right. almost two inches wheel to wheel. Uh-huh. And so uh, what has happened uh, in the early development of, of the uh, Lego shows where it's adult fans putting on the show, um, they've started by participating in model rail shows. So the model rail enthusiasts across, especially across North America and to whatever extent in Europe as well, have their shows where the HO and the N and the, and the G and all those different scales are represented by people who are amazingly focused on making those details happen in those, in those scales. And so, now Lego has uh, enough people involved, not Lego the company, but the, mm-hmm. the Lego brick. There's enough people involved who put on a big display of Lego trains, and they'll put them on at the show. Uh, I think there's been some some um, interesting, shall we say, growing pains, because, of course, the brightly colored Lego display will get more votes than the incredibly detailed, um, you know, thousands of man hours work. Right. Uh, small scale, you know, there's amazing stuff going on in, uh-huh. in model railroading as well in terms of the detail people are able to create. Uh, in Lego, we're trying to create as much detail as we can given the limitations of the brick. Um, so what will often happen is that brightly colored display will win the public's <laughs> acclaim uh-huh. for the show. Right. So that can, can rub a few people the wrong way. But ultimately, <laughs> it draws more people to the train show. The more kids are involved. And, you know, it gives them a chance to see what else is possible. Yeah, these are all voted on, yeah? These are all, that, those are the votes by the public. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, so, some shows have done what I think is a smart thing. It's a, a di- out of scale, so that, that that's a different category. Uh-huh. Right. And so there could be more than one Lego display competing against each other, and it's not competing against a, you know a fascinating detail you know end scale. Display. But there are official judges that go around, and are there award? I mean, awards? The different shows right. do do it in different ways. Uh-huh. But yeah, there are, there are awards, there are plaques, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, so anyway, that's one thing that's brought uh, the Lego hobby further out into the public in terms of people putting on sometimes massive displays mm. you know a lego train club could easily uh you know in our case the the Saskatchewan lego users group we regularly put on roughly an 8 by 40 foot mm. lego layout with mm. towns and mountains and and switching yards and trains uh, there's one guy who's amazing at at the technical stuff he he does a um a cargo transfer station where he's got a device that will lift the cargo off the truck, move it over, put set it onto the train, and you've got to control it. And it's not an easy thing to operate either. So, right. you know, there's 
there's all manner of different ways one can approach it. Is it interesting to know how many bricks go into a display? I mean, do they? That's the one question we get the most, and I'm that's sure the one question we least have the answer for. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah. one wouldn't know, but I mean, does one care? I guess. Well, building. Uh, one one cares when one realizes one needs a certain number, of a certain piece <laughs> to realize the right. <laughs> the dream that's right. imagined. Right. Uh, uh, certainly. Um, but I mean, ultimately, as a pursuit, it's not—it's not so much about the counting. <laughs> it's right. not so much sure. about punching the clock. Yeah, yeah right. you know. Right. Uh, but but certainly, that's something people want to know. And so you know, we'll ballpark it and mm -hmm. come up with ideas, and you know, roughly this much. You know, you can certainly count the the number of studs on the top of the plates and get a, some sense of how, how many square whatever is being covered by this. So does size matter in Lego? Are, are, are there such things as miniatures that get a lot of attention? Um, that, that's, that's an interesting question, and, and yes and no is the answer. <laughs> Certainly um, anything that's big gets more attention. Uh, you know, that's an inevitable sort of thing. Oh, how big is it? Well, it's six feet long. Oh, my goodness, that's huge, you know, or it's mm -hmm. eight feet long or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and so, I mean, you know, in in terms of comparing things, we tend to talk about the measurements for sure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the things I pride myself on is doing things that are interesting and unique with, say, two pieces. Huh. And that's not necessarily something that you show to the public and say, hey, look what I did. Uh, but certainly amongst our our peer group of, of Lego builders, we'll show off, hey, did you know these two can fit together like this. Is this Lego minimalism? Uh, in a, in, yeah, in a sense, yeah. Mm. yeah well, another nickname a friend of mine came up for me was uh, Johnny Minimalism. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done a few of these little, you know, mm. what if you put these two together? One, one of my favorites that um, is... Uh, it got a, a very, um, very enjoyable response from a few of my friends. Uh, it was using a, a hairdryer from one of the girl sets from you know, mid-80s, I guess. It was a hairdryer. Mm -hmm. I noticed the size of the little slot on the front of the hairdryer. Uh, there's a magic wand piece that can be held in a minifig's hand. So it's a magic wand with a little star on the top. Well, it turns out that star will fit just perfectly in the uh, slot in the front of the uh, hairdryer. So it looks like a little, you know, laser right. pulse with right. a little muzzle flash going on. Right. And so, right. And so because the spelling of my name confuses people, I call it the Lezor gun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you know we have we have fun things like that, uh, and certainly I'm not the only one doing that by any stretch. Right. Uh, so for for some of us, uh, you know, the Lego hobby is is multifaceted. There's people who are very much into the detail in the trains, or those who are into making spaceships or moon bases or old castles. So they're very focused on the medieval, either in the being realistic or in the fantasy sort of approach to it. Mm. So, uh, but there's some of uh, us who are very much fascinated by it. the piece itself. And okay, it's, it's called this, whatever the name might be. It's referring to its original function. What else could it be? Mm -hmm. And if I put five of them together, what could that become? And, uh, you know, so there's that sense of, of repurposing the shape into something else that it could be. If you're enjoying this episode of Sascapes, why not download the entire series for free from the iTunes Store? Simply search for Sascapes by Sass Culture. And while you're there, feel free to support Sascapes by giving us a star rating or writing a review. From time to time, I'll share some of the comments in upcoming episodes. And who knows, it could be your comment I read next. And now, back to the podcast. Have you married your love of art history with Lego in any way? I mean, is it crass to consider trying to replicate a piece, a, a painting with Lego? Can you do that? It's been done it for been. certainly, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are at least a couple of, of copies of the Mona Lisa done as a, as a Lego mosaic. Right. Um, I, you know, as a fan of all things Lego, I think those are wonderful. Mm -hmm. I don't see them as art per se mm -hmm. um but there's very much i think a, a focus on trying to get 
building in Lego to be perceived as an artistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it matters how it's perceived. I feel it is to whatever extent, you know, in my own approach sure. to it. But um, the funny thing is to make it be most recognizable as art, you have to copy a piece of art. <laughs> right. Here's a piece of art made out of Lego, right. as in here's a car made out of Lego. Right. Uh, whereas I think that, that there's some amazing artistic things created that are not uh, referencing mm-hmm. that's, you know, any specific work of art. It's already mm-hmm. understood to be a work of art. And people doing things that are, are fascinating in and of themselves right. in a way that, 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 that provokes all the sorts of feelings that, a, a painting or a sculpture might do. Age range of a Lego user group? Um, age range of a Lego user group, uh, generally they're adult Lego user groups, uh, and I'll come back to the reasoning on that mm-hmm. in a moment, but yeah, it will range from um, people in their mood, 1920, all the way up to uh, there are fewer of us into our 50s now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certainly a, a large you know, collection of people within the 30s to early 40s, um, just in terms of how career arcs go and where they're sure. at in terms of being able to no longer being a student and having a, you know, a stable employment sort of thing will, you know, start collecting or in whatever mm-hmm. way. Uh, some people sort of wake up from their, from their um, dark age and, and collect a bunch before they realize other people are doing it. And then there's others who kind of discover a little bit online and get caught up in that. Um, you know, like I said, said before, it's a much different world than what we grew up in. Uh, I was the only person who still built things out of Lego when I was 18 that I knew about in my circle of friends at right. school and or neighborhood. Right. Uh, now um, there's a whole different thing where you can actually know that there are people building with Lego because they're in the same group. They're connected you know, within a town or within a city or within a region, or, or you find your way into one of many websites that that people interact with each other mm-hmm. from all around the world. Yeah, you get on, you do it in real time together. You get on webcam and build. Um, I, I'm sure that's been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know um, uh, with a couple of my friends, we've chatted on uh, internet relay chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, open up a channel and, and talk. There's a few of them out there, and. Uh, uh, one of the things that you know we will do is part of the thing is having the common vocabulary, knowing what each piece is called yeah, sure. and, and describe knowing how to so how to describe them, and so it's it's actually kind of a fun challenge to see if you can describe something to your friend in a way that he knows what you're talking about and can build it. So we've had some verbal collaboration in terms of making things. Uh, where you know one of us might have certain pieces to hand and say you know does the does the uh, <laughs> the ray gun piece fit <laughs> this at this angle or will it not and and so you know it's almost like we're each kind of uh, research lab people doing our thing and collaborating in various ways so there there can be that kind of kind of thing I'm certain some people have done some some webcam sort of you know Skype collaboration in that way. Uh, what we generally do, whether it's within uh, a log uh, or um, uh, gearing up for uh, uh, an event like a, a like a Brickspo or or a BrickCon in Seattle, where we'll be heading in the first week of October, mm. where we'll set up certain standards of what is it we're doing. Uh, you know, what does the landscape look like? It's so many plates high, it's a layer of brown over top of a layer of green, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, in t- terms of doing a train layout, uh, standard track spacing from the edges of a, of a plate and spacing apart, you know, we'll say, okay, the, the front row of plates will have the, the train track and then the next 32 by 32 piece will be the road plates. Uh, and so then we can collaborate on a larger layout knowing where the connection points will be and then the rest is is quite you know open to your own interpretation and so on how do you travel when you go to these things with with your pieces 
Or do you build on, you know, build on site always? No, no, very rarely build on site. Um, in fact, the, uh, like I like to say, it's entirely modular. <laughs> it breaks down into very small pieces. Right. But one, one tends to work within, uh, the Lego comes in base plates of various sizes. Mm-hmm. There's 32 by 32 studs or 48 by 48, which is roughly 15 inches square. Mm-hmm. So what we'll tend to do is try to work within that 15 inch square and then, those pieces will connect with another one. Uh, so I'll maybe do six of those, and then my friend will do another six of those I that see. connect next to it. And so we've determined what the height is that they connect at and what color it is and so on. So we can very easily uh, create a lot of landscape that no one person has done. We've all worked together on it, and then somebody's got some buildings there and someone else uses that. You know, We'll post images online to say, oh, here's what I'm working on. Oh, well, that's it. gives me an idea. I'll work on this. You know. Well, what you are traveling with, I mean, do you check these into the belly of an airplane? I mean- the, yeah, there's much, much discussion in, in the world about what does one do. Certainly with the, with the increased travel restrictions we've had over the past 10 years, uh, it's become more difficult for those who are flying. Uh, what people will often do because of the way baggage can be handled, they will put their, uh, clothes under mm-hmm. and they will carry their creations neatly bubble wrapped in a bag in their carry on luggage. So wow. their carry on is whatever they're bringing. That must raise some eyebrows in the scanners. It can do. Uh, right. Although, you know, it's, it's certainly, you know, less dense than your laptop. Right. <laughs> you know, sure, or your sure. headphones in your bag. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, one, one packs as tightly as one can and, and breaks it down into manageable pieces. Uh, if you have a, like a small car or a spaceship or whatever, uh, the best thing to do is break off the pieces that are going to come off anyway mm-hmm. and put it all in a Ziploc baggie and pack it. Right. And then when you get to the other end, some assembly required, but you've got all the pieces in one. You know, it's, we've actually done situations, uh, uh, one we had a, a fellow who was very much part of the community online and we're actually looking forward to meeting him when he finally came to one of these events. Uh, he was killed in an accident. Mm. And so, I mean, it was just tragic. Uh, you know, young father of two kids. Mm. And uh, so um, there was a memorial fly-in, a particular style of spaceship that he used to make. Uh, he's a very inventive, very creative person. Uh, we would We interpreted that style. Uh, and so people, we did a memorial fly-in and did a sort of a missing man formation of them all laid out on a table. And, uh, so some people, uh, we did, there's an event in Chicago and one in, uh, Washington DC and one in Seattle. And so one of our members coordinated it for each of those places. And, uh, I was able to go to the one in Chicago and the one in uh, Seattle. And so, but there were people who had shipped in a box their creation from Germany and Japan and Brazil, and, you know, all over the world. People, you know, contributed in whatever way. So very often we would get, here's the bag. <laughs> and if you're lucky, there's a photo that they oh, posted right, online right. and reassemble it based on, on right. in some cases, just the best guess. Must be a bit like labeling fossils when you're at an archaeological I would site. imagine, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Right. Ultimately, it's all rebuildable. You know? Right. Is that yeah. cello piece that you showed me in the photo one of the larger pieces you built? Uh, yes, yes. That, that piece, uh, I work with a fellow who's a Lego certified professional. Uh, he is... Uh, one of those people who uh, has a special relationship with the Lego company. And uh, so that's his official title. And basically they they draw on his ability to do events that they can't provide a Lego master builder from their own internal system mm-hmm. to do. So uh, one of the gigs that he gets, he, like he's, a, he's, an, he's allowed to search out his own gigs as well, but there was some corporate event in Vancouver several years ago where he had to uh, 
um, create a skyline of Hong Kong mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a very short period of time. Wow. So that was one of his gigs. As a result of that, and we've you know we've met and collaborated a bit before. Uh, he was regularly coming to the Children's Festival here in Saskatoon. And uh, this one year he was unable to attend. And so he called me up and said, could you possibly do this? You know, I'll send my brick, but you, you know, do the thing. And so we worked out, you know, arrangement for that. The next year they came back to both of us and said, we'd like to have you both do this. Is there a way of doing that? So since then, the two of us have done uh, a couple years of, of the uh, Lego tent at the Children's Festival. Mm. And so um, those are his, they're what are called Duplo. That's the larger Lego made by Lego. And they're completely compatible with the old the regular bricks. And we mm -hmm. actually use the regular bricks to fill in when we're doing a mosaic mm -hmm. to get more detail in the pixels, right? Yeah, right <laughs> so right. to speak. Right. And so um, that's uh, the, the uh, one you've seen in the picture. Is it a cello or a double bass? Or it could be a double either, bass. Right, yeah, or an yeah. over, or a, a larger than life cello. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the particular theme for this year was uh, Sounds Like Fun. Ah. And so uh, the uh, we determined that there was a, a corporate sponsor for that particular tent, so we made sure to include their logo. Mm. The Agrium logo is on the big bass drum. Mm -hmm. So we decided we'll, we'll make instruments. Mm. Uh, so we collaborate by talking about what can we accomplish, mm -hmm. you know, what can we do in this four-day period while we have kids come and build with the random brick as well. Uh, so, yeah, we we just he brings two shipping pallets worth of Duplo in various colors, and mm. we set to it. And we built the big drum, which is about, I'm going to say, four feet in diameter, mm -hmm. uh, but it blew over a foot deep. Mm. And then we built a player piano, and uh, he built sort of a Dr. Seuss kind of a horn thing that kind oh, of yeah, connected yeah. all the instruments, yeah. and I built this it saxophone and a bass. It actually has a that instrument in, in Seuss language. Oh, I, I, oh, I can't remember either. Yeah. yeah. Um, the kids in the museum here get to see your pieces oh, as yeah, well, yeah. right? Yes, they do. They they, do. And, and they're part of the rotating exhibit, or you just bring them we, we've, yeah, What we've done is put a, a couple of pieces, uh, one collaboration I did with uh, with the fellow I told you about who's working with Warner Brothers now, mm -hmm. um, and uh, then pieces I've done for the Lego Users Group, uh, Saskatchewan Lego Users Group. Um, displays, uh, put together some of that sort of stuff, set up a little train loop, uh, let the kids play with that as well. Um, and then we've we've got a supply of Lego for the museum that, that the kids can use as well. So help them kind of with some technique sort of thing as well. But, you know, to lead them through an exercise of making a vehicle or making a face or whatever, that sort of thing. So, so do they look at you and think your cool factor is just through the roof that you're involved in this? I'm guessing so. <laughs> <or don't> I <laughs> have to ask them, I guess. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to ask them. Uh, they seem pretty excited about it all, for sure. Right. Um, uh, I try to make as much of what I produce available for them to see as well. Uh, you know, but of course my focus is as much on amusing myself and my peers as it is creating things for a broader audience. Right. Um, certainly the, 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 the children's festival stuff is, is wonderful to, to work with very basic brick. You're not using any specialized pieces and you're having a chance to do this with a whole lot of people involved uh, in terms of the kids get to build things and you can kind of coach them, help them with it a bit or, you know, ask them what they'd like to build. You know, we're doing this thing about sounds this year. Sure. Uh, and then you see the sock monkeys in there. Those are, <laughs> those are a, a mascot that was drawn on the poster, you know, for the, for the festival. Mm -hmm. So we make it out of Lego to, mm. to tie it all in. Mm. So, uh, what do you and other uh, peers in lug groups think of the, I'm, I'm hesitating to ask you this question because I know you've been asked it, the Lego movie. Oh, it's, it's great fun. Yeah. It's, oh, good. It's it got fun. a stamp of approval. Oh, uh, well, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Good. Well, in, it's, it, it was fun for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, one little bit of fun that we have is 
watching the credits at the end. I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. Because they would have been involved. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. Consultants and yeah, a couple of like. couple of them are are on their in their online handle. So uh, my friend Chris, you'd have to know that that's his online handle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, wow. Uh, and you know, it, there was a, a bit of a call out to the community mm -hmm. in terms of anybody have anything interesting that might be included, you know, give us a call kind of thing. So a lot of people really jumped on that. And uh, there, there's some, I mean, there's some amazing stuff in there. I've seen the film a couple times now, and I, I have the DVD, of course, and mm -hmm. I have to w watch it in slow motion. There's so many. Yeah, I'm sure. There are so many in jokes in that. They, they, they really put the, the effort in, and, and everybody involved seems to have had a chance to, to put little gags in. That, you know, for those of us on the inside, so to speak, they're hilarious, you know, and there's enough gags. Uh, you know, my wife is not. A builder, she she's peripheral to the uh, to the uh, the fandom, but she, you know, she's familiar with certain things. Um, she really enjoyed it, just you know, without all the specialized detail, you know, to be to be uh, gleaned for you know. It's one of those movies with something for everyone, you know. It's like the old cartoons where, you know, my dad was always laughing, but he wasn't laughing at the same stuff I was laughing at, you know. When Watch the Bugs Bunny or whatever. Classic. Yeah. There's a whole other adult theme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, speaking of adult, that brings me back to the thing about adult fans of Lego and being a uh, Lego users group being for adults. Uh, one of the things, you know, in some groups, uh, they, they get together for a drink every now and then. So it's very clearly an adult thing. Right. Ultimately, uh, you know, Lego being uh, something that's a children's toy, it's really for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, they used to have the, the name, the, the age range on the on the box would say 8 to 80. Ah, right. You know, and they, right. I don't know why they stopped that. Ah. Talk to me about the therapy behind um, Lego. It seems to me that it can be quite a catharsis working with Lego. Oh, oh absolutely. Uh, it, it, I, I think it is, a, is a, exactly what you said. <laughs> it, no, it has, it has um, a very real function in, in, lives for, in the life of many of us mm -hmm. who work with it, uh, that actually working with the brick is, is very much a way to focus uh, a way to give your hands to do something, to work through things that are in your mind. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked earlier about a fellow um, who had died in a car accident. You know, I, I lament that I never got to meet him. I, I, you know, he had a very profound effect on me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think an important thing in all that is the response within the community. And it's very much a community of people scattered around the globe mm -hmm. uh, who relate on a very deep level about a few things that, that we have in common. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's helped us work through grieving um, mm. in terms of thinking about, you know, what he would have done and how he would have approached this particular building problem or whatever. Mm. And, and so, you know, it's been very, we've been supportive of each other in dealing with that sort of thing. Um, I actually started in the online group, I'd already come out of my dark age and was doing some building and paying attention to what was going on online. Mm -hmm. uh, when another fellow, uh, this is you know, 2003, I think, Christmas time, this fellow who uh, you know was quite uh, interested in what he was doing and you know felt like I was almost part of the conversations he was having with others as well, and you know quite an entertaining individual and he passed away at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And I realized at that point that this is, you know, what I want to do. And so it, if you're going to be part of it, be part of it. So I mm -hmm. joined up the online group and became, you know, part of that banter and that conversation and that collaboration, uh, which has led to me traveling to many places uh, for events and meeting these people in person and, you know, sharing the camaraderie we have. Mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly, like I say, it's really helped us deal with grief. Um, some of these friends that I've, friendships I've developed 
you know, first online and then in person, uh, they're the best people. You know, they're stand-up people. They, they, you know, they've got your back. Mm. Um, I, you know, I remember I was actually online interacting with some of my friends when I got the phone call that my father had passed away, mm-hmm. and they were the most supportive, encouraging, helpful. You know, people. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have known who to turn to, and they were there for me. Mm. You know, and so we we help each other as members of this community. Um, and that's a very, like I say, a very real community based around a common interest, but nonetheless a community. And, I, you know, I think there's there's learning in that for, you know, people in the real world yeah. <laughs> as such to, to be able to see that, that mm-hmm. we have these different uh, connections and support systems and so on that are out there. So while there is an undeniable element of whimsy to... To uh, to Lego, there's also a very serious um, component to it. Oh, oh ab- absolutely. Uh, you know, we we take it seriously. Um, for me, uh, coming at it from a humorous perspective, I like to illustrate puns and so on, <laughs> create things that that are are, are amusing to, to at least myself and certainly mm-hmm. you know a certain number of others. Um, Humor is serious business, mm-hmm. you know, and it helps us to cope with the difficulties in life. And so, you know, that's that's another piece of it. It's mm. all part of the big puzzle. You mentioned your wife, uh, who's been a guest in the series. That would be Flo Frank. Yes. Um, I, I am told that I simply must also talk about one of your other creative outlets, and that would be as a musician... Right. Yes. Indeed. When did that become a part of your life? Uh, that became part of my life um, about a little after the Lego did. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, what was the first instrument you picked up? First instrument I picked up, well, I had a year of piano lessons and absolutely hated it. It was just not my cup of tea. Uh, There's a large group of people that could join you in that sentiment. Indeed, indeed. Right. Uh, we had a piano in the house, and uh, it was very strict that you don't get to make a sound on it without lessons. So, uh, of course, we had lessons. Um, and then that kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, certainly, I you know learned certain things there that mm-hmm. stuck with me. Um and then my younger brothers each had a chance to do a band instrument in school, and I never really expressed any interest whatsoever until grade 10 or 11, um, grade 10, I guess. Um, I was paying more attention to music and figured, you know, I could get into the bass guitar. So I talked to my parents, and they said, well, your brother's had a chance, so we'll, you know, we'll give you a chance as well, and we'll you know, rent you an instrument. As it turned out, they couldn't rent one, so um, I put half my allowance in, and Dad covered the other half, and so I got my first bass guitar. Hmm. And then with the cassette deck I had at the time, I started recording. And so music and recording were tied together from that point onward. Uh, I used to jam with a friend who was a guitarist. Uh, He wasn't always available when I wanted to do something, so I picked up the guitar as well. And just carried on from there. So ended up with two cassette decks, a pair of microphones and speakers, <laughs> doing the it. overdubbing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> moving things closer or farther. You have to mix as you go. Oh, that was there yeah. was so much so much to do then. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, so yeah, I, I basically uh, became self-taught musically mm-hmm. from that point, having had a bit of piano uh, in university. I took a course. Um, sort of more in the nuts and bolts of music. It was not quite the classical appreciation course, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, so I learned tonic sol fa system, and so I was able to apply that. But I, so I, I latched onto that. I did a lot of, you know, book reading, and I did a lot of just picking up the instrument and seeing what was possible. And, yeah. and so from there, yeah, I've, I've grown to play anything with strings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and genre of music? Again, uh, genre of more toward um it's hard to describe now mm-hmm. 
but more towards sort of rootsy on the acoustics, sort of psychedelic on the electrics, sort of. Um, I, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music and, and um, find myself having difficulty defining the genres sometimes mm-hmm. myself. So, uh, you and Flo together in 1995 founded a recording studio. Yeah, a recording Eon? studio. Yeah, Eon Music. Uh, it's 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 been a studio and a label as such. Although we mm-hmm. certainly are amateurs in the label department, we've we've released a number of things mm-hmm. uh, with but, local with Saskatchewan uh, artists. Yeah, yeah, with local artists, uh-huh. uh, we've recorded them in our studio mm-hmm. and and got them to the point of you know here's. Here's a thousand CDs. I did the graphic design for the covers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've done we've done a bit of that. Um, not maybe as much as we imagined we would, but you know there are so many pursuits that come up <laughs> in one's world. You right, know. Right. Uh, so um, yeah, it's 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 been quite a fun thing. Uh, we started to turn this building into a studio. We did some recordings here. Uh, the first mm-hmm. Little Miss Higgins is probably the one mm-hmm. most right. recognizable right. to people. Right. Uh, in fact, in, in order to help pay for the recording, uh, they helped us paint the building. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow, it's a good yeah. acoustic space, yeah? It's it's a really nice space. Uh, when the, the trucks aren't driving by? When the trucks aren't driving by. So what's the majority of your day comprised then? Musician, Lego, I mean... Well, at this at this point, it's hard to say because a lot of it becomes seasonal. Okay. Uh, certainly, building with Lego is a winter pursuit for me okay. because I can't go outside and do the outside things right. I might do. Right. Uh, music can be a year-round thing, although it, again, might not get as much attention in the summer. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it depends. Uh, mostly, what what happens now is I'll work on particular projects. Right, so uh, recording a local band of young musicians, very talented, uh, called Boomlag. We're just about uh, we're at the mastering stage now in their Mm -hmm. in their recording. Uh, So I'll find what time in my schedule works best for doing that kind of work. You're on the island, Vancouver Island, often. Uh, More so now, yeah. Right, Uh, doing something um, artistic. Uh, one hopes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, working toward a studio there as well. Uh-huh. Uh, so my interest in acoustics and in architecture and building means that I have a certain skill set that really applies well to that sort of thing. Um, I, I actually have uh, had use for Lego in various ways in the studio. Yeah. Um, some of the uh, Larger hollow rock pieces uh, make a very good shaker with a few smaller pieces inside of them. Oh, so right. you know you get some interesting tones there that are different again from a wooden shaker or a, a gourd or whatever. So in that way, uh, one of the things I do a fair amount when I'm using a keyboard, I'm often doing a pad, a, you know, a tone, whatever going on underneath. Mm-hmm. And that can be really boring to hold that chord down for mm-hmm. the period of time that the piece is needing it. So I've made little armatures or structures out of brick so I can set the particular, yeah, put, yeah, put the spacing so it lines on the right keys and yeah. then put a brick on top and then put weight on top of that so that it. You know, I can have a, a tone playing while I'm doing something else. Oh, right. So you're not just relying on looping. A- no, no. It's actually it actually play that in real time and then manipulate. So instead of playing the keyboard, I'm playing the effects in the studio wow. uh, on that. Uh, so, you know, there, there's that use for the Lego for sure. Mm. Um, I find that it's... We've we've discussed earlier, and and that's a whole big kettle, whether Lego can be art, whether Lego can be used for art or a medium. Uh, I see uh, Lego as music as well, Mm -hmm. Um, in the the real sense of you can use it to create music, different tones. There's there's Mm -hmm. actually a fellow who who built a harpsichord out of Lego. No kidding. A fellow named Henry Lim. Strings and all? uh, The strings are not Lego. Right. But, uh, no, the no, majority, but I mean, it yeah, it's play. a playable harpsichord. And it plucks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, mm-hmm. The fellow's name is Henry Lim. You can look him up. Wow. L I M. Uh, so, I mean, it is possible to use it 
to create music. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I, I see some of the things that people create and some of the focus that I take in creating something is seeing it as a theme and variation sort of thing to, to actually the repetition of elements becomes like a, like a mm-hmm. rhythmic thing and so mm-hmm. on. So I, I, I see it in a musical sense as well. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, it's very much that I create music, uh, you know, in a certain way and that I create Lego in a different way. And the two are sort of complementary to each other for the most part, other than what I just said. Right. That sometimes working out a spatial problem in brick uh, is a good way to change up my thinking before I go back into solving a harmonic problem in music. Right, right. Right. uh, And I think the the other piece... I'm not sure if Flo mentioned uh, to maybe tie it all, tie some of this together. Is my other pursuit musically is in theater. You mentioned that yourself. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, I've I've had the great good fortune to work with Angus Ferguson, Dances yeah. Guy Theater. Dances Guy, yeah. Yeah, and uh, his focus for the sound in in plays is to have live musician as part of the show Mm -hmm. the way we work uh is to do uh, what i call live soundtrack and so um uh, when i've done music in the show it's been very much around supporting the action uh and in you know in some instances covering for a change and you know the scene change and that sort of thing but a lot of it is is taken from a very much soundtrack perspective. And the time that you feel the most success is when somebody doesn't notice that there was music. Mm. Because that means they're so caught up in the show that it was all part of it and it didn't stand out, you mm-hmm. know, it didn't jar. So th- th- there's another approach musically in that that's that's quite right. different from, you know, banging away three chords right. saying, hey, look at me. <laughs> so know? it's like a soundtrack to yeah. live theater. Exactly, so exactly. And mm-hmm. so it, with all the the potentials and the pitfalls that can occur with sure. that as well, but there's very much, it becomes a very organic thing. And so you're breathing with the actors in mm-hmm. in working, you know, with their rhythms and... Mm-hmm sometimes throwing them something that they can you know lean on so to speak mm-hmm. so uh that's that's been a major musical focus for me over the mm. past couple of decades right yeah. you strike me as the kind of person that has to work from a very creative place no matter what it is that you do it's just right part of your dna yeah to work yeah. creatively yeah exactly uh, the, the improvisation is a huge piece mm-hmm. uh and uh, you know, once once a play is set, you're doing the same same quote unquote thing each night, uh, but you're working with uh, subtle variation within that. Uh, but the process leading to that is is pure improvisation. It's right. very much a case of here's you know I want to be there from the first read through to hear the voices of mm-hmm. the actors and hear what might fit around them, what might come in, what might you know, be needed in it. Uh, and then that's working with the rehearsal process to get to a point of, yeah, this piece works. You know? Right. But as far as you move through, you move through life creatively, all these aspects of your life um, reek of creativity, which seems to be the only real way you know how to function it's in a very creative place, which is great. Yes, yes I, I, I suppose so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm very much, um, you know, I approach many things from the from the sense of, so what does this sound like? Uh-huh. What sounds can this create? Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, in the sense of finding a brick and saying, what else could this be? You know, what? how can I create uh, a different form with it? Um, one of my interests in Lego is uh, making a dodecahedron out of Lego, mm-hmm. which is using angles that right. most people think of it as one brick on top of another, and that's right. it. Uh, there's there's mm. 
There's oh, a vast I'm world in there. <laughs> there's a through line with all of my guests as I meet them, and already I'm wanting to introduce you to uh, to Weldon Gray because he utilizes that pattern in making lutes. He's oh. a lute maker oh, in right. Saskatoon. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, and he utilizes that exact pattern. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Does Saskatchewan have its own sound? Oh, absolutely. Unique sound? Uh, absolutely. They're, 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 I mean, living here... There's one now. There's a, a creaking door of the Meacham Museum. Right. Um, there, there's an amazing soundscape here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the nice things about being this far from the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear traffic on the road. Mm-hmm. And we hear you know a plane going by and all that sort of stuff. But we hear the wildlife you know, significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear the frogs in the summer. It's it can be almost deafening when you're yeah. out front. Like we're just a block from the the pond where right, they live right. you know, and they, you'll find them in our yard too uh songbirds just you know there's some magical magical mm-hmm. moments the cranes flying over mm-hmm. you know just run outside and want to listen right. to them and see right. them and so on right. uh there's also a wonderful thing that happens here and i understand it to be a very rare thing in the world in general uh you know i've been a few places where this is possible but to step outside on a very calm night, and hear nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point that you kind of make a sound to check if your ears, mm-hmm. have, you know, maybe I've mm-hmm. I've gone deaf for a moment or something, you know, and just to have that as a one end of the scale that's possible here, that's huge, and and, and uh, you realize that any sound can come out of that. That that. You know, mm-hmm. So it, it it really does provide a blank slate musically, you know. If you want it, it's you can start with nothing. Is there a wind? Is there a dog in the distance? Is there a bird? Right. You know, is there a rustling in the trees? Uh, you know, all those sorts of things come out of that. So uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful sort of backdrop to being able to create sound in theater and create music and, right. and you know. Because we often know visually what stimulates us about this province, but I right. don't know how many of us take the time to right. think about what sounds stimulate us. Oh, yeah, exactly. And and, and certainly, uh, you know, uh, I, I've created instruments, percussive instruments, out of broken pieces of farm machinery. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's mm-hmm. that sort of the metallic sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's sounding stones. There's There's all sorts of... Yeah, there's 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 a wealth of sound here for sure. Hmm. For sure, it's a very cool life you're living. I I think so. <laughs> I, I I feel truly lucky and blessed to be yeah. here now doing what I do for yeah. sure. And I can see you and Flo working in tandem with each other as if very like minded. Right, right. Uh, and again, luckiest guy in the world to have someone like her. You know, uh, her encouragement and support have been have been immeasurable i believe she feels the same way right (laughs) right thank you so much for taking the time i've been i've been hearing about this lego wizard for a very long time (laughs) and it was kind of hard to track you down for a while and uh, well you know wizards aren't you know no out on the high street with their little sign up (laughs) you are you are in fact the second wizard in my series so excellent um, you are in good company but but you're a bit of a a, an anomaly that i've heard about but wasn't quite sure whether it really existed or not and to the 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 seriousness with which you take your lego is is quite something it's a very unique addition to this series all right okay well anomaly works for me (laughs) okay great thank you very much very good to meet you thanks thanks for listening the Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other Sass Culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time... <laughs>